Our football team was like the kid that plays second French horn in the school band. We got to play better. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. He had shoulder surgery on his elbow. Shoulder, shoulder, shoulder surgery on his elbow. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. Well, first of all, what kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We got to consider that. The kids are playing their tail off, and the coaches are screwing it up. If worms had machine guns, then birds wouldn't be scared of them. Down there, wide open's Gallon. They left him alone. Yeah, I don't know if anybody saw me trip on the way in. Did anybody see that? <laughs> A lesser athlete would have gone down. Sports fans, and welcome to your Week 10 preview brought to you by First and Inches. I am Kevin Wise. This is Patrick Smith. We are sponsored by Milwaukee Tool. Nothing but heavy duty. Hello, Patrick. Hey, Kev. We got big games, my friend. We've got games, but before we get to that, we're going to talk about our college football playoff rankings and reactions. I would absolutely love to. You know I have takes. All right. So, obviously, here we are, first week in November. We have some somewhat objective data on each of these teams. I say somewhat, emphasis on the somewhat. Um and we have a rankings. We have an AP poll. We have a coaches poll. We have a college football rankings committee who arguably does not watch any of these games. And we've got a lot to say about it. Let's jump in to the top 10 where it matters most. Start at the top. Tennessee, number one, first time in the poll, having an amazing season. Josh Heupel. Hendon Hooker, amazing receiving core, high-flying offense. What did you think about them being at number one? Couldn't agree more. I think they're the right team with the right resume. I think they have the best resume in college football, the most, I mean, arguably the most explosive offense in college football. I guess you put them right up there with Ohio State. And they've done everything they could possibly need to do to be the number one team through this point in the season. I agree. I, you know, I think it's well-deserved. Uh, a team that has had some big wins, even going back to, uh, you know, the, the the first win, I would say that was pretty good, was against Pitt. Pitt looking like a team who's probably underperformed a little bit, but is still a, a quality team. Um, now they have uh, a pair of top 10 wins because, of course, LSU is a top 10 team in the country in the eyes of the committee. We'll get to that in a little bit. Has a huge win against LSU. Obviously, the win against Alabama. Um, a lot in front of a lot in front of them, though. Still, you know. Um, but I think this. People say that the original rankings don't matter, but what I think this really does is this puts Tennessee in a position where it is possible that they lose a game and still get in. Oh, absolutely. I mean, clearly they have the biggest game on the schedule this week with Georgia coming up, um, and. Yeah, I think if they drop that game, they're going to hang around that top five pretty easily if they look good in that game against Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think my my first thought with this is I said, okay, there there's a round-robin scenario here where, um, you know, Georgia beats Tennessee and then Alabama beats Georgia. And what happens there? I would argue the more I think about it, what if Tennessee beats Georgia and then – Alabama beats Tennessee. I mean, there are still multiple ways to slice and dice this so that, you know, the committee's favorite, you know, SEC teams all end up with one loss. Um, Begs the big question, do you think it's possible we get three SEC teams in here for the playoff? 
Uh, I mean, yeah, there's certainly circumstances where I think it could happen. I think you need to have exactly how you described. I think all those three big teams need to have one loss. They kind of need to round robin each other. And then I think they probably need some help. Um, I think one of those Big Ten teams, Michigan or Ohio State, is getting one spot. And I think the committee would be hard-pressed to put three SEC teams in with the likes of, you know, an undefeated TCU, um, a one-loss Pac-12 champion. Um, I think there's just going to be a lot of, you know, reasonable teams to put in the playoff, and it's going to be tough for them to choose three SEC teams over the rest of the field. I think we obviously see a very unique, you know, the – with the way this shakes out and the prior schedule, there is that possibility with Oregon sitting there at eight that it's them versus a one-loss Georgia. And I don't care if it was week one. I saw Georgia play Oregon, and I saw what happened, and I and don't I need to see score. it again. <laughs> I, and I don't need to see that game again. So, you know, I think if you're Oregon, you, you got to hope probably that – um Either the whack, the wheels absolutely fall off the wagon here for Georgia and they get like two losses or that they're undefeated and they put Georgia, at, you know, one or two and Oregon sneaks in. I think it's their only chance. I mean, everybody's dream looking into the playoff right now is Tennessee just runs the table, wins everything, um, and that probably knocks most other teams out. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, so moving on, number two, Ohio State. What what are your, what are your first initial thoughts here with OSU at two? I don't have huge thoughts here. I think you could have put OSU two or OSU three behind Georgia. Um, I would have personally put them at three. I think Georgia's body of work with that big win over Oregon early in the season um, is stronger than Ohio State's. Um, but you heard a little bit from the chairman Boo. Um, about how, you know, they, they really focused in on Ohio State's explosive offense being kind of the best unit between those two teams. And, I don't, you know, I don't have a ton of pushback against that, and my pushback will come a little bit later when we see the committee kind of flipping their logic with a few of the teams they have in this top ten. Yeah, I listen, I'm not going to be a homer about this. I'm going to try to keep it pretty honest. Ohio State's a very good team. They look poised to make a good run. Um, most of that, however, is the eye test. I think that, you know, obviously Ohio state's best win is at Penn state. People will obviously discuss the fact that Michigan's best win is against Penn state as well. I will give Ohio state a ton of credit in that. I think it's a totally different game playing, you know, in happy Valley against Penn state, as opposed to Michigan, having them in Ann Arbor. I think that's totally different. Um, that being said, it comes down to how much of that, uh, is a margin of victory because I think that Michigan clearly handled Penn State better than Ohio State did. And then if you start to look at the entire schedule and body of work, um, I guess it comes down to how much you value Notre Dame. I mean, that's Ohio State's second best win, I would argue, is Notre Dame at home in week one. And to me, that gets into a bigger topic here of what do we do with these week one games? Because I've heard, you know, I'll, I want to talk about the Georgia-Oregon for just a little bit more. I've heard them. I've heard both sides of this coin. I've heard that the best win, you know, in the country this year is Tennessee beating Alabama, and the second best is how bad Georgia handled Oregon. But then on the flip side, I've heard Oregon's gotten so much better since week one. We shouldn't hold that loss against them. Either that game matters or it doesn't. We can't use it on both sides of the coin. Yeah, and I would say clearly the committee thinks it it basically doesn't matter. Um, they, they showed that in a couple ways this week. I mean, they clearly devalue that week one game compared to the rest of the season. They didn't really reward Georgia for that week one, clearly. I mean, that's the best win in the country. I, I like, You can say Tennessee's close win over Alabama is the best win in the country, but Alabama had a chance to win that game with a field goal in regulation. Um, the only reason uh, Tennessee got to kick their knuckleballer through the uprights was because Alabama missed their chance. Um, so no, I don't think that's the best win in the country this year. I think that it is one of them, but I put Georgia's domination over Oregon above that, um, committee clearly didn't reward them for that. Um, and also clearly didn't punish LSU for their week one performance. Um, you see LSU sitting in the top 10 with their loss. 
Um, and man, I have more to say about LSU, but I'll put a pin in that for now. Yeah. So I, I, I think the big takeaway here and what everybody wants to see is consistency. There's no perfect way to rank these teams. There's no perfect metric to use. Um, and a lot of times this does end up working itself out at the end of the year. We've seen this with the past rankings. Um, however, I think that fans just get frustrated when it, it does seem a little bit like we are, that the committee is selectively choosing when things matter and when they don't, as opposed to probably using um, something that is a little less arbitrary and a little more objective. Yeah, I mean, I think you want to see consistency in the criteria they're applying. And I, I think where people get frustrated is when they have those interviews with the chairman after and they try and defend their ranking decisions, which, you know, at this point in the season start to actually matter a little bit. Um, and when they defend those decisions, I think what we're used to hearing is a lot of back and forth and flip flop and logic. And I think that comes into play here with our number three team in the rankings, which is Clemson or sorry, uh, number four team in the rankings, which is Clemson. Um, and you know, the, the committee had to answer a lot of questions and boo answered a lot of questions about why they thought Clemson deserved that four spot over Michigan. Um, and to me, I don't think it makes any sense. I mean, Michigan to me is the fourth best team in that group. I think Michigan in the games that I've watched so far this season, which is everything from Michigan and probably a good two thirds of Clemson's games, um, Michigan clearly looks like a more put together team a team with more of an identity. They look like a better team to me. Um, yet they, uh, you know, they tried to apply some logic here that doesn't really make a lot of sense. They talked about how uh, Michigan was only 2-0 and against opponents over 500 throughout the season, and Clemson is 5-0. and That, you know, yep, sounds about right. You know, more games over teams with a winning record, that probably makes a lot of sense. Wrong. One of those teams, one of those 5-0 and against teams who are over 500 is an FCS team, a team who plays an FCS schedule. Um, So if you're going to use that as a benefit of strength and schedule, I'm not buying that. Also, um, you'll see Boo apply the same type of logic looking for a team that didn't fall behind in games, that, you know, controlled games. Um, TCU is also 4-0 and against teams ranked above 500, and the committee put them below a one-loss Alabama. So I'm not really buying these, um, these criteria that the committee are trying to explain. Yeah, I, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, so... Some of these, you know, we can just go over Clemson's wins real quick. Week one, win at Georgia Tech. I don't value that very much. Um, home against Furman, home against a Louisiana Tech. Um, arguably, their best win is they they did get Wake on the road. Um, a little recency bias, but Wake just got destroyed by Louisville. Does that devalue that a little bit somewhat? Um, they got NC State at home, and they went um, on the road at Boston College. And then... Um, on the road at Florida State um, when finishing uh, home against uh, Syracuse. So I think it comes down to my honest opinion. So first of all, I would say I, I do think Michigan is probably a better team right now. For me, it comes down to the fact that, um, you know, in the last game they pulled their quarterback. I To me, you, you if you don't have stability at quarterback, that's a pretty big red flag for a team, especially when you're really talking about this high in the rankings. Um, that's too big of a question mark for me personally to, to give them the nod at four. Um, however, if you want to make the argument that Clemson has more sem, like, kind of like middle of the pack semi-impressive wins than Michigan does, okay. However, I think that Michigan has been more dominant consistently against their opponents. And I think that the um, win against Penn State was a much better performance and win against a quality opponent than Clemson has. You know, I right now, neutral field, Penn State or Syracuse, I think Penn State handles them. Penn State or Florida State, I got Penn State. I don't, Penn State or Wake Forest, I got Penn State. I don't think Clemson has faced a team like Penn State. And when Michigan did, it wasn't even competitive. They destroyed them. I, like, I just don't really get what the committee sees here with Clemson. I mean, they talked about them being a complete team, a more complete team than the teams below them on the rankings. 
they, like you said, they just replaced their quarterback in the middle of a big game, like the biggest game they've played all year, maybe. And I don't know. That's not a complete team to me. That's not a team that you trust on both sides of the ball moving forward. And like you said, let's start using some metrics here that actually talk about football and that explain which team is better. Michigan with advanced statistics would be a 10 point favorite over Clemson right now. And that matters. These, these people that are making these rankings need to watch football and see that Michigan has been a much more dominant team this season than Clemson. I think almost anybody can see that. Now, I do think part of what um, a couple things that the, they do when they make these rankings is, number one, they want to get themselves out for down the road. For example, Clemson doesn't have the oomph left in its schedule that Michigan does. And I think that the, the committee does like the idea that let's say Michigan goes and beats Ohio State. And Clemson is sitting there in front of them. They can kind of do whatever they want then. They can say, oh, Michigan earned it, and they jumped them. Or they can say, oh, nope, it wasn't, a good, enough, it wasn't good enough, or Clemson's looking good, and they can keep Michigan back. But if Michigan's already ahead of Clemson, and it beats Ohio State, there's no way Clemson can jump them. Does that make sense? I think, that, I think that's a factor. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we'd be remiss to not talk about how there's a lot of factors at play here in these rankings beyond who just the best four teams are, especially this point in the early rankings. You know, these are made to drive hype, to drive audience, to drive viewership. Like, these are not the four teams that are going into the playoff. And they leave themselves some wiggle room, and I totally agree. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of the strategies that I think the committee uses to help defend their selections when we get to the number 10 team in the rankings here for sure. Number six, Bama. Um, ah, Bama versus TC. I, I guess the real question here, yeah, Bama, TCU, TCU, Bama. I personally would have given the nod to TCU. Um, they have probably, uh, number one, they are undefeated. They haven't lost. I understand that if you have an easier schedule, it makes it, uh, makes it a little bit easier, but you know, they've gone through their own um, somewhat gauntlet of they've beaten Kansas State, who now seems to be pretty proven. They've beaten Oklahoma State, who, yeah, just lost, but is obviously a quality opponent. I think the best argument here is that not any great road tests. Uh, I'll give you that. At Kansas is probably their biggest road test they've faced. Um but they've handled business when they need to. They went to overtime once against Oklahoma State, but on the most part, TCU has an explosive offense that looks like uh, the real deal. Yeah, I think this one is the most egregious spot in the top 10 for me. Uh, I don't see how there's any justification to put Alabama above TCU at this point in the season. Alabama's lone top 25 win is a one-point win over Texas. Let's not forget Alabama also has a loss. They've lost a game. TCU has not lost any games. Guess what? TCU also has a better resume, even though like not beyond the undefeated thing. They have a better resume. They have two wins over the top 18. Bama is 0-1 against the top 18. That's like a two-and-a-half game difference. Um, the Boo and the committee talked about looking for a balanced team. They talked about how TCU wasn't that. They kind of honed in on the defense a little bit. Okay. Alabama just gave up 52 points to Tennessee. Are they more complete than TCU? I don't know. Their defense doesn't look great. Just spare me. Spare me with putting Alabama over TCU. It doesn't make any sense here. Um, they, you know, they credited OSU all the way up to the second spot in the country because of their explosive nature of their offense. Where is that logic when it comes to TCU and putting them behind a one-loss team? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and I would just real quick, uh, I, I look at it from a very macro view, and that is I don't believe the SEC has five of the best 11 teams in the country. I don't. I don't think five of the best 11 teams are in the SEC. I think that's some SEC bias and a little bit of home cooking. Um, so I agree with everything you said. Um, Alabama over, over TCU is, you know, um, just kind of ridiculous in my mind. I think that, you know, TCU's earned a little bit more than that. It's just a little, little, little bit of big 12 disrespect coming in at eight. Yeah, I mean, we have Horn Frogs fans across the country should be pretty ticked off with that. I mean, they did everything they could have asked for this season. Their offense is explosive. They have played good teams. They've beaten good teams. They've done everything this season that Alabama has not done. And they're still not above them. 
That being said, they were on the table. They're probably in. Um, Oregon, uh, eighth in the country. Obviously, seven straight wins after that absolute thumping. Uh, to Georgia, Bo Nix looks like a new person. Um, however, I've been fooled by that in the past. Um, I'm not sold in Oregon. Uh, some good wins. However, I do think that the Pac-12 probably just isn't there. And I guess I'm not really sold in Oregon because I'm not really sold on UCLA. So I don't really look at them as having, um, a, you know, really beaten anyone that is that impressive to me. Uh, again, I look at like a Penn State. I think Penn State would handle UCLA. Yeah, I think, you know, I think this is probably the right spot for Oregon. Um, they have that huge loss to start the season, have looked pretty good since. Um you know, that loss was to one of the better teams in the country. I think it's probably appropriate to have them behind Alabama because I think Alabama's was a closer loss to a higher ranked team. Um, but I don't think there's an argument for many other one loss teams to be above Oregon at this time. Um, Oregon looks good down the last few weeks. Nine sticking in the pack 12 USC. Um, this one is really interesting to me because I feel like it hasn't been talked about a lot in terms of um, any kind of backlash. Uh, best win for USC would be at Oregon State by three, a 17 to 14 win that is in September. It's not the first game of the season, but now what? Like a, a loss on September 3rd is is nothing, but a win on September 24th means everything. I don't know. I mean... That is USC's only only ranked win, and in my opinion, only even marginally impressive win. I, I mean, what do, are we giving credit? I mean, they blew out Rice, they beat Stanford by thirteen, they they beat Fresno State. Like, what are we what are we rewarding here? Uh, I at one point, their best performance to me is a one point loss at Utah. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's their best performance this year. Um... I think you're just rewarding. I think the committee is just rewarding the strength of their offense and the potential explosiveness there, like not even consistent explosiveness. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think they, I think when you compare them to the teams around them here, it becomes a little tough. I think the committee probably relied a little bit on the eye test and the potential that their offense has. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure who I'd put above them, but I don't think they look like a top 10 team in the country. Agreed. Um, speaking of teams that probably shouldn't be in the top 10, number 10 comes in LSU. This probably had the most initial shock factor right when it came out. Um, I believe 15 in the AP poll, so substantially higher. Um, two losses now. First loss came week one at home by a point against Florida State in somewhat a fluky game, um, which I admit I have some respect for Florida State, but then a home thumping by Tennessee, you know, uh, 40 to 13 only three weeks ago. Um, I guess in my opinion, not only two losses, but two home losses. This, this is, this is too much. And this is some juice to say that Alabama is about to beat a top 10 team. And you can't argue with me otherwise. That's, that's you my cannot opinion. argue with you otherwise. This is some grade a classic college football playoff committee hogwash. This is what they do every year. They like to stack the deck so when they answer these questions with the media, they can be like, what do you mean Alabama's not that good? They just beat top 10 LSU. They stack, they plant these little seeds, and you'll see it at the top 25 line too, right? Take a look at who makes those last three spots in the top 25, and then take a look at who they're playing coming up, and you'll probably find a reason why the committee is trying to put them as a ranked team. This is just, it just doesn't make any sense. The teams behind them have better resumes. They just wanted the top 10 matchup here. They wanted the top 10 matchup at night. They wanted Alabama to put another feather in the cap. And it's setting up for some just total nonsense here. If the committee next week after Bama's top 10 win moves them from six to four into that top four. Yeah, completely agree.
we would like to say if anyone wants to write in comments, questions, anything they want us to address for the next show, you can find us at firstandinchespod at gmail.com. That is F-I-R-S-T-A-N-D-I-N-C-H-E-S-P-O-D at gmail.com. And for the youth, feel free to follow us on Twitter and DM us at the number one S-T and inches. That's one S-T-A-N-D-I-N-C-H-E-S. I'm Kevin Wise. He's Patrick Smith. This is First and Inches, brought to you by Milwaukee Tool. Nothing but heavy duty. Good morning, Patrick. Oh, good morning, Kevin. What a day of football we got coming our way. I am awake, sleepy, but excited. Patrick had a little overnight call last night, but this podcast will will persevere. The podcast will persevere through my sleepiness, and Kevin, I think you're in a bathroom in Dallas somewhere. <laughs> I'm in a hotel room, not not a bathroom, but yes, I am in a I am at a conference. So we are uh, we're making it happen this week, uh, d- despite some challenges. We'll improvise, we'll adapt, we will overcome. For our listeners who think this episode might be a little late, maybe just take that into account. We're doing our best. Yes, today we're, you know, I'm on the road and Patrick has to work. Uh, we did have our, if you haven't taken a listen, uh, we did we did release our college football playoff rankings reactions where we talk about the top 10, what it means going forward a little bit. And then this episode will focus more on a pretty great slate of games that we have going on today. And we'll, as we do every week, make some picks. Yeah, I think the best place to start is if you're still trying to get like your plans in order for the day, you got a wife to please or some kids to take to the pumpkin patch, there is nothing on between noon and three today. So that would be a nice window to get done whatever you may need to for the day, life stuff, maybe take a, you know, take take a little break. And then um, I think the 3.30 Eastern, the big boy, the volunteers, yeah, and, and, and the dogs. By all means, if, if you want to do what I'm going to do and just sit on the couch all day and take in those noon games too, I mean, that's what I'm going to do. You've earned it, Patrick. Thank you. So Tennessee, Georgia, the big one. We've been waiting for this one for weeks, talking about it for weeks. This is one of the biggest games of the season. Tennessee on the road at Georgia, eight-point underdogs. I don't know, Kev. What do you think? That number just jumped off the page as me as big. It does It does seem big. Um, I am obviously a huge proponent of um, home field and college football. I think that matters a ton. We talked about that a little bit with the Ohio State performance at Penn State versus Michigan having a home game against Penn State. While Michigan had a more impressive win, I think that you do need to take into account the um, playing in Happy Valley. That That is a big deal, especially in these places that are really hard environments. The crowd gets juiced up, and um, I think that can really affect the game. So, um, you know, my first thought is it kind of all hinges around, ironically, how good we think LSU is. Um Tennessee has a number of good wins this year. However, a lot of them have really been at home. Um, You know, the thumping of Kentucky last week that was in Knoxville. We've seen what Nyland looks like. Uh, Tough place to play. I think that home field is huge right now. They just they have the juice at home. When they got Florida, that was also at home. Early in the season, they did win a road game at Pitt that went to overtime. Um, and it just seems like the Pitt team isn't the team that we thought they were going to be. We thought they were probably going to be somewhat contenders in the ACC, and Pitt has really fallen off. The really impressive road win is at LSU. Um, there were some questions about this being a day game, not a primetime night game, and how much that affected. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know. I've actually never been down to Death Valley and Baton Rouge there. Um, 
but that's my question is did the game at LSU really prepare Tennessee for this? And Tennessee comes in knowing uh, the points they want to hit on, especially for offense. Cause I feel like they got to put up points in this one. I think they're going to need about 40, which they've gotten in most of all their big games. Um, or was that LSU game uh, kind of a clunker that LSU, that LSU didn't feel like they were ready for the national stage yet. And, um, this will be a different different kind of challenge. That's that's my real main question. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is a case of um, I just think Tennessee is better enough on the offensive side of the ball that I think they have a real chance in this game, and I think they have a chance to win outright. Um, you know, you can knock Tennessee a little bit. Their tempo definitely inflates their numbers on offense. When you adjust for tempo, Georgia and Tennessee are actually pretty similar offensive efficiency type of teams. Um, Tennessee is clearly more explosive, um, both from metrics and just from the eye test. Their offense kind of jumps off the field at you. Um, and so I, I think taking a team like Georgia, who likes to kind of wear you down, they're a little bit less explosive. They beat you in the trenches a little more. They like to slow the game and, you know, eat up time of possession. I think taking eight points, um, I, that's just too much in that spot for me. So I feel pretty good about taking Tennessee here, especially um, as this crept over a touchdown. I kind of was expecting this line to be more like, you know, plus six, plus five and a half. So getting the full score, um, I feel pretty comfortable taking Tennessee here. Um, yeah, so I'm going with the Vols. Yeah, I'm going to be on the Vols, too. Um, eight is just a big number. Um, uh, you know, I would be curious. I haven't seen any. I'm sure Elias or something will, you know, if I turn on a preview show this morning, we'll say something about has a number one team in the college football playoff ever been eight-point dogs, even if they're on the road? I mean, that just that strikes me as a big number, um, especially getting it over that seven-point threshold. We obviously know that with high scoring games, you get into weirder scores where you can see something like an eight, you know, can you get like a 42 to 34 type deal? Yeah, you could push with something like that. But in general, getting it over seven gives you the cover on a touchdown, which I think is probably pretty big right here. Yeah, 97% of the money on this game is on which team, Kev? Who do you think? I would think it's on Tennessee. Yep, it's on Tennessee. And, you know, uh, kind of an interesting mascot matchup here, too. We got two dogs. We got Smokey versus Ugga. You know, almost a reflection of their teams in some ways. Smokey seems a little more agile, slim, explosive. Ugga just an absolute tank. I don't know. Might come down to Ugga versus Smokey. I think Ugga is an old-school fullback. That's the that's the build, you know. I would yeah, uh, I want to get like, in the eye. Form. I want to get in the eye form behind Uga on fourth and inches, or maybe first and inches, and I would feel pretty good, about my, pretty good about my conversion right there. Yeah, I mean, Uga's the type of dog you could convert back to a linebacker just whenever you wanted. You know, and then I look at Smokey. Those ears, some pretty good surface area on those ears. You would just have to think with that length has great potential on the outside at corner, especially in the modern game, you know, just real shutdown. You know, some teams should take notice here. I'd probably put Smokey on Jalen Hyatt, and maybe you could slow him down a little bit. You can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. Yeah, you know, I th I'm, the more I look at it, the more I'm thinking – I'm not sure Ugga can keep up with that type of athlete and Smokey on the outside. I'm just not sure they can do it. So I think we're both on Tennessee here. It'll be interesting to see. Um, I do think that last kind of point on Tennessee is it's interesting. We talk about some, sometimes we hindsight's 2020 with these games and we give a team credit for just a win, not necessarily how they won. But I think people are very quick to forget if you actually watched that Tennessee-Alabama game that if Alabama goes down and kicks that field goal, Alabama wins on the road in Knoxville. 
So definitely the best game that Tennessee has had, they were beatable at home. Now you are playing this game, arguably a better team in Georgia. You know, the season will, you know, delineate that eventually on the road. Um, so I think that my most likely outcome for this game is probably a Georgia win, but it's close. So that's why I think you got to take the points here. Yeah, I don't want to hear that at all, Kev. Uh, give me the underdogs. Give me Smokey. Give me the real dogs. Give me Tennessee. All right. Well, hey, that's that's one that I'm sure we'll all be tuning into here. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll try to be at least checking scores on my phone. Uh, we'll see if people here are watching it. But has the chance to be an absolute classic, um, especially if it's anything like the Alabama-Tennessee game was. Speaking of the Crimson Tide, of Sir Nick Saban and his slightly underperforming, or so we think, Alabama Crimson Tide, they are going in the classic SEC matchup to Baton Rouge to play LSU this weekend in, dare I say, a top 10 matchup. Oh my gosh, college football playoff committee. You just slid that right in under my nose. Oh, I guess we must we must watch this one too because it's a it's a big game. It's a big uh, game. Top ten SEC matchup. Pat, what are your what are you looking at here? Alabama at LSU. All right. So, you know, this is gonna be just kind of some lizard brain gambling stuff here. But okay, so the second I saw this spread, I was like, holy cow, like what thirteen and a half is a huge number in a game where Alabama is probably you know, Alabama's clearly the better team, but Alabama has looked vulnerable all season. So I was surprised that it was all the way up to thirteen and a half. Um, Alabama's clearly the more talented team. They clearly have the more talented quarterback. They have the more talented athletes. They're better on both sides of the ball. Um, they have, like I said, they have looked vulnerable. I mean, we saw some problems with their defense against Tennessee. Um, but I just can't figure out why the spread isn't more like 10. Um, and so because I can't figure it out, I'm just rolling right into it. Roll tide. Give me Bama minus 13 and a half. Okay. Uh, I agree with, um, you know, just about all your points here. Um, I think I'm, I have a couple points though, and I'll admit that when I really sit down and think about it, I'm going to contradict myself, but it's the truth. First, uh, first point is that I think, again, if you are almost two touchdown dogs at home, Vegas does not agree with the playoff committee. They do not think this LST, LSU team is legit. Definitely not top 10. Maybe not even top 12. Maybe a little bit phony here. Um, it's a lot of points. That being said, we've seen this Alabama team kind of play with its food. And maybe those are in games that are... I want to say not as juiced up, but that's not really true. I mean, I think that that what was the best game of the season before Al Alabama, Tennessee, maybe Alabama, uh, Texas, it was a low scoring game, but um, it was, it was electric and Texas really had a chance to win that game. You know, Bryce Young sealed it with that scramble late, but Texas could have won that game. Alabama wins by a point. Bama also only beat Texas A&M by four, um, you know, coming off a huge win at home, against Mississippi State, who I think is a quality opponent. Um, so I'm, t I'm torn. Uh, I, part of me says that uh, LSU is phony. Another part of me says Alabama has proven that to teams, and I think Texas and Texas A&M are both worse than LSU, um, that Bama has shown that it'll, it'll play it close and maybe pull it out at the end. Um, for the sake of making this interesting – I'll fight you on this one, and I will take LSU uh, and the points. However, I don't think LSU is going to win this game, but I can see a 31-20, um, a something along those lines. Um, two touchdowns seem like a lot. Um, and I do want to take this opportunity to give a shout-out to our most loyal listener, Brian Smith. I am sorry 
Uh, I know you're a Notre Dame alumni that I, I'm picking Brian Kelly here. But again, it's only for the spread. I don't think he's going to win this one. I think he's got some more losses coming his way the rest of the year. The Purple Man hunts for a spread cover for Kevin. I think him and his family are going to be disappointed by this result. His but they'll cover. Family. But he'll but I think he'll cover. Kev, that was that was a dunk. All right. Speaking of Brian Smith, why don't we go over to South Bend, Indiana? Let's see how the fathers fare against Clemson. Clemson coming in as three and a half point favorites. Notre Dame, a home dog here. Kevin, what are your thoughts here on the Irish? I think biggest question in this game has got to be Clemson quarterback. I don't see how there's um, really a question about that. I think it's funny that um, DJU, I think overall has had a better season than last season. Uh, and is probably getting um, a little bit of undue criticism just as kind of a rollover from last year. Didn't look great when he got pulled, admittedly. Um, but if you really watch the game, it's not like Cade Klubnik came in and made a bunch of amazing plays for them. Um, he got a short field and he had a good throw on the, the conversion. I, I get all that. Um, but there are some question marks there for me. I think Vegas agrees. You know, I think that normally um, a top four team going on the road against an unranked team would have a little more uh, juice than three and a half. However, I think we recognize that the real problem with this Notre Dame team is probably a combination of offense and inconsistency. Sometimes they can put up the points. They have some playmakers. Probably their weakest part of their offense is on the outside. I think the line's pretty good. I think Drew Pine, yes, could be better. I think they have several, you know, very capable running backs. Michael Mayer is obviously one of the best tight ends in the country. They just don't have those big outside receivers that we're used to from Notre Dame. I think that can hurt them. Um, it is at Notre Dame. I think people are starting to swing the pendulum back a little bit on Marcus Freeman here. Um, and, you know, I was on Notre Dame for the upset last week. And this week, I'm doing it for the dads. So you can give me Notre Dame, three and a half. I think Clemson might get them by a field goal at home. But I think this just has potential for such a great story. If Notre Dame does win it, this would be, you know, Marcus uh, Freeman's statement win of the year. Would be huge for the dads. Would be huge for Kevin's gambling. Would be huge for college football playoff contenders around the country. Why not the Irish today? Well, I don't know, man. I have a tough time seeing Notre Dame winning this game. Um, to be fair, I also have a tough time seeing Clemson pull away in this game. I don't think Clemson can win this game by a ton of points. I feel really questionable about their offense and their quarterback. Um, so I'm not I'm this isn't a game I'm gonna pick. Um, I think my lean is towards Clemson. I like I think this is a close win for them. I don't think either of these teams is significantly better than the other. Um, but I think Clemson has more options in their offense than Notre Dame does. I think Notre Dame is a bit of a one-trick pony right now with Michael Mayer. And I think that's like the one thing you need to slow down if you're going to make their offense like really one-dimensional and they pretty much only run the ball other than that. So... I don't know. I think Clemson is probably a good enough team on the defensive side of the ball that they'll find a way to slow down Mayer in this game. I think the key, you know, the sneaky key in this game for me might be touchdown Tommy Rees. See if he can get any creativity flowing in that offense, show a few different looks, use those running backs out of the backfield a little bit. Um, so I could see this game kind of going either way. I think I end up feeling like it's a close Clemson win, so I'm staying away, but leaning Clemson. Yeah, I'm violating tenant number one. When you choose these games, you should choose with your your head, not your heart. Well, I'm going with my heart, all right? And my heart says when I can somehow pick a game that's going to benefit the Wolverines and the Irish, I'm doing it. So here, I like, I like Notre Dame. 
or at least I want to like Notre Dame. And I'm rolling with last week. I felt good about against them with Syracuse. That was a nice win. So I'm going to roll, roll with Notre Dame. And if I pick Notre Dame for the second straight week and call this, this possible Clemson upset taking them, and Mitch Wise still does not know how to download a podcast, that, that will be the intervention where he will have to will have to make the move over. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, let it be known. I'm right there with you with the heart. I will be I I will be pulling out the Notre Dame sweatshirt from those rickety plastic college dresser drawers deep in my closet. I'm gonna throw that on and we're gonna be fighting Irish tonight, boys. I love it. Let let's go Irish. All right. From the team that Patrick and I were born into to the team that we chose. Wolverine. Choice. At Rutgers. 26 and a half. Pat, what's your feeling on this? Give me Michigan. That's my only feeling on this. Uh, Man, we'll pick and choose our moments to bore everyone to death with us waxing poetic about Michigan. But this is not that time because this is Rutgers. Um, Michigan is a so much better team than Rutgers. I don't think 26 is enough. We're in college football playoff ranking season. We're in flair season. We're putting points on the board. Harbaugh's hungry. Let the boys eat. JJ, Donovan Edwards, maybe a little bit of tight end action in there. Blake Corum's going to run down their throat all night. Michigan by eh, 38. So before last week, I would have not had a thought, and I would have taken Rutgers in the points. 26 and a half is a big number, and I think Rutgers football is headed in the right direction. However, Rutgers went to Minnesota last week, a Minnesota team that I now think we all realize you need to take seriously. They Furious contender. And they lost 39 nothing. Uh and it was ugly. Their quarterbacks were six of seventeen for sixty-eight yards in a pick and three of seven for eighteen yards in a pick. Their leading rusher had seven carries for twenty-nine yards. You know, as far as I'm concerned, Rutgers didn't get off the bus. I get Rutgers gets to play at home. I don't think that that's a huge home field advantage. I do think that Harbaugh knows he has to run it up. Now, what does it really if you really if you win 35-0 versus 70-0, do I think that really impresses that much more? No, I don't. But do I think he understands that it raises the eyebrows a little bit if it's 35-21? Yes, I think he does. I don't think Harbaugh is necessarily the coach that um goes out there and actively wants to promote Blake Corum for Heisman over the team season. No, I think he plays to win the game and do the right thing always for the team. However, I think one of the right things for the team right now is correcting these red zone woes. And a great way to do that is to hand the ball to Blake Corum a little more effectively. I think Corum has a huge day. Um, I think a great, a great bet here would be, you know, Corum over 200 yards and three plus touchdowns. Um, because I'm sure there's some juice on that and, um, some juice on that I 200 think, yards and three touchdowns. Yep, I, there's going to be some juice. On I, think, that. I, would, I would say Corum, you know, Corum could carry the ball 25 plus times in this game. Um, he'll break a couple for 30, 40 yard runs. I would think, um, so yeah, I'll actually, I'll, I'll lock it in with you here and I'll take, um, Michigan big. 28 plus multiple touchdown favorites here. Um, but besides that, we don't got to talk about this anymore because it's not really no real implications here. No, no upset potential. When you say lock it in, is that your lock? No, I mean, we're, we're in a, we're in a unity here on the pick. Um, as you know, I just, I do not like lock. I do not like the big spreads. You saw last week that, especially in rivalry games, I don't like it. And I don't like taking 
I don't like locking in these big ones. You know, can I see some fluky thing where Michigan wins by 26? Yeah, I, I don't like these huge spreads, but we will we will have a uh, a lot coming in here in a little bit. Okay. Well, Patrick, do you want to stick in the Big Ten here, or do you want to move outside for uh, for our next uh, discussion and picks? Why don't we stay home where it's nice and cozy, Kev? Okay. So, um, speaking of the Big Ten, Michigan, we're not going to belabor anything else about any of the aftermath of the Michigan-Michigan State game. However, there is still football to be played. And this week, it doesn't get any easier for the Spartans as they are on the road at the Big Ten West powerhouse, Eli and I, Brett Bielma, Chase Brown, defense, Burt. running, and here they are, in the driver's seat in the Big Ten West, in some may argue, a position to possibly make it to the casual playoff if they run the table and shock the world beating Michigan and Ohio State in the Big Ten title game. My initial thoughts, they've got to be juiced up at Illinois. MSU's got to be reeling here with multiple players out and multiple distractions flying. 16 seems like a lot for an Illinois team that doesn't put up a ton of points. However, they went at Nebraska and won by 17 last weekend, which I think is on the road and a tougher test than this is, just given that it was on the road. I'm going to lock in the Illini. Bielma Brown, 16. I'll take the Illini. Bielma Brown! I like the pick. I'm with you on it. Not my lock, but I'm definitely on Illinois minus 16. For me, this is a, a big part of just kind of Michigan State is in a real tough situation coming off of a week where they suspended eight players, two players who started every single game this season. I think another three who started at least one this year. Um, those are impactful players on a roster that's not that great at this point in the year. Losing uh, Wyndham is is a big loss for their defense. Um, and then just talk about a week of off-field distractions. It's been constant, as you know. It's been nonstop. Every appearance every day of the week has been new media appearances, new stories about this. They're about to play one of the best teams in the Big Ten, um, and they – I'm sure have been anything but well focused on that game coming up. Um, I think Chase Brown is going to control the game for Illinois. I think um, they're going to move the ball like Michigan did and Michigan comfortably won by 22 points. And I think this could be a pretty similar number here. Um, I just don't think state really gets up for this game today. Yeah. And I think there's also the, obviously the emotional letdown spot um, game against Michigan's a big game on both sides. Um, how, how do you get your guys back up emotionally after that? Um, I think that's tough. So I, I think Illinois is the safe pick here. However, I do think Illinois is one of those unique teams where when I take Illinois by 16, I think there's potential for them, them to win 17-0 or 21-3. <laughs> I think that has a, there's a high likelihood that this game is, is, uh, ugly and I, I would not expect it to be a shootout. Is Michigan State going to score in this game? I mean, kind of similar question to the Michigan game. They scored against Michigan, but Illinois' defense is really good. Hard for me to – it's just hard for me to imagine them being completely scoreless. I think what you got to do is you throw it up to Keon Coleman every single time and you wait for him to come down in the end zone with it. I mean, I just think he looked like such a stud. Probably one of the best wide receivers in the Big Ten right now, if you ask me. Um, you put Keon Coleman on Ohio State, and we're probably saying he's a first-round pick. Um, in the same sense, we're just talking about a little bit of bias here. If Illinois plays in the SEC, they're a top-10 team right now with one loss. So I know they haven't played a bunch of people. I actually have no problem with where they're seated right now. But I think Illinois has got a lot to play for here. Um, and I think Bielema 
probably this is a look ahead season for him in the sense that he finishes big. Let's say he gets a you know he goes eleven and two or something. He's he might be eyeing you know there are a couple jobs available coming up here. Jim Leonard's probably going to Wisconsin, but you got to think about him. Nebraska. I think Bielma is eyeing a big payday, and I think this is his golden ticket. Bielma, coach of the year. Yeah, he's right there. Okay. From the Big Ten to the Big 12. Horns in Manhattan. Not the Big Apple. Manhattan, Kansas. Playing Kansas State. Vegas likes Texas here. I don't. By two and a half. Interesting. What What do you think they're seeing, Patrick? I'm not sure. I, I mean, I thought Kansas State would be the favorite here. We just saw them absolutely destroy Oklahoma State. Probably a little bit of an outlier there, you know, in some way. Like, they're, like they're probably not that many points better than Oklahoma State. Um, but we've seen both Will Howard and Adrian Martinez look like really good options at quarterback for Kansas State. They just are coming off of an absolute dominating performance. And Texas hasn't beaten anyone good this year at all, ever. They have no good wins. Um, so I don't know. I don't understand why Texas is the favorite here. It might be a little bit of name bias. I don't think Kansas State probably ever gets the respect they deserve as a team. Texas probably gets a little of that Michigan love where the betting money comes in and moves lines a little bit. I don't know. Uh, I like Kansas State. I think Kansas State wins outright. Um, so give me Kansas State plus two and a half. Yeah, I'm in agreement there. Um, you know, we catch a lot of flack as Michigan fans for a brand bias. Brand bias, brand bias, brand bias. Michigan's overrated. Michigan's overrated. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Maybe sometimes. Okay. Texas might be the most overrated team in the country this year. Point to me the signature Texas win. Of course they have three losses and they get the top 25. Of course the burnt orange has to get in there because we have to sell tickets. I just don't get it. The only thing that gives me a little cause for pause is the injury situation at quarterback for Kansas State. I haven't heard anything that, you know, Will Howard won't play. And I think Martinez and Howard are both available. But anytime there have been quarterback injuries during the season and a weird line comes out, my brain goes to possible injuries. I think there's a very interesting discussion around this Kansas State team right now about who is their best quarterback. I think there is the Two-headed monster of Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez running the football, and I think it's very difficult to deal with for some teams, and I, I, I completely understand that. Um, but I also think that Will Howard being able to throw it down the field vertically a little more gives them an extra dimension that might even improve their offense more. All right, Kevin. First and in inches pod first. I have breaking news. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Kansas State announces Will Howard or Adrian Martinez will start this game. Starter to be decided after warm-ups. Yeah, so, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. I just, I think that you have, there has to be, Vegas always knows. Somehow they always have a wire on everybody and um, is a little somewhat quarterback controversy going to move the needle a little bit? Yeah. Does it move the needle a little bit to, to where I think that Kansas State's going to lose this game? Again, given that they have, you know, NFL talent on both sides of the ball, you know, probably a first pick on their uh, first round pick on their defensive line. And, um, you know, Deuce Vaughn, probably one of the, you know, better running backs in the country and definitely the Big 12. No, it doesn't. Okay. Do you know what Steve Sarkeesian's Record in true road games is? No. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like one in six or one in seven since he's got to Texas. So, you know, someone can try to explain to me how arguably the best team in the Big 12 is going to be his second ever true road win. I just don't get it. No, yeah, I don't buy it. Um... Give me Kansas State on the money line. Ooh, little extra juice. I'm not concerned about it. Little extra juice. 
Um, no, well, I just got to make sure I make it out of this this conference in Dallas alive. First and in inches, your go-to source for breaking news. All right. Anything else on anything else on this one here? Why don't we real quickly talk about Wake Forest, NC State? Kind of an interesting game. Pretty good teams. NC State is four point dogs to Wake. NC State is at home. Wake Forest coming off of an atrocious performance where Sam Hartman looked just utterly mortal with multiple interceptions, a ton of turnovers. Um, I don't know, Kev. What do you think about this game? You have any thoughts? I don't even want to talk about this game um, because I I feel utterly let down by Sam Hartman. The other week, absolutely gushing over how I think Sam Hartman's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I still think that. But talk about laying an absolute egg last week right after I talk about how great you are. Six turnovers. In the third quarter, can someone, can Elias get on this? Have we ever seen six turnovers in a quarter? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think Kevin I've ever putting seen Elias to work today. I mean, come on. you they, they love these absurd stats that, you know, this team's never won by this amount on November 4th during an, an, an even-numbered year with the solstice that's, you know, in alignment with Mars or something. Come on, can I just get a stat on number of turnovers in a third quarter? I mean, six just seems preposterous to me. Elias! That being said, um, Wake at NC State, Devin Leary's out. NC State still has a good team. Oh, man. We have a home dog here. I'll take Wake for a bounce-back game. I'm not going to be someone who gives up on gives up on my, on my quarterback after a bad performance. I like Sam Hartman to bounce back. I think NC State – I think um, Dave Dorn has done a great job with NC State given the injuries. I mean, I think I think he's a great coach. I think in terms of X's and O's and getting his guys ready to go, he's great. I just think that they, they don't have the juice to hang with this Wake Forest team. Um, and I don't expect a six-turnover quarter Wake Forest – don't do this to me. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you. I think I lean wake here, bounce back game for Sam Hartman. Uh, but you know what, Sam Hartman? You landed yourself on the do not bet list for a couple of weeks because I just don't know what the heck happened there. So I'm staying away. But Kev, I think I owe you a couple picks here in our seven. Why don't I round off my card real quick? Um, I got Penn State and Indiana. Um, Penn State comes in 13 and a half point favorites. I just think Penn State is still a really good football team that um, just got ran up against a juggernaut. Um, but so give me Penn State in that game. I'll take a minus 13 and a half. I also really like that as a teaser spot with some of the other games. Um, getting that at a touchdown would be really nice. Getting it down to like seven. Um, the other picks, I owe you, I owe you a lock. Um, why don't we take Drake May and the Tar Heels, UNC minus seven at Virginia. Um, this spread has actually, you know, actually opened around seven and a half or eight and has inched its way all the way down to seven. I don't understand that movement. UNC's offense is explosive. They've looked good. Drake May has looked really good. Um, I love that pick. Lock it up. I also threw it in a couple teasers, um, taking that one down to a round of money line with the Penn State game, with the Tulane game, with the Illinois game. I'm spreading it around. I like UNC big here. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. I mean, I already, I already made mine, but um, I would be in total agreement with that. Seven just seems absurdly low for a Virginia team that's really underperformed here. I mean, Brennan Armstrong, lefty, southpaw, gunslinger. Um, last year it looked like, um, someone who, in my opinion, could compete for some form of backup third string role um, in the pros. I mean, was one of the best quarterbacks in the country statistically last year and has really fallen off. I mean, Virginia is a, a sad, sad, sad spot right now. So seven for um, UNC seems small with um, one of the best quarterbacks in the country and Drake May. All right, Kev, you got any other picks you need to round off? No, I think uh, I think I have all of mine. I think uh, the only one I didn't say out of my seven was Tulane minus seven. 
Nothing else to say. Give me that green wave. Tulane, big. Tulane, big. Tulane right now in position, eyeing that New Year's Six bid from the group of five, playing pretty well. Uh, I like that as well. I like the, I like the green wave. And I got to um, throw just a little love to the Thursday night games that we never really talk about. Ooh, Coastal Carolina looks nice with a really good quarterback, the Chanticleers. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, I know they've had some good players have gone to the pros. Isaiah Likely, for example, their tight end over the last several years here. But it feels like that Coastal Carolina got a lot of love a couple of years ago and having a sneaky good year this year with still a good quarterback and Grayson McCall who can probably make some noise. Probably if they had a couple big boys on the uh, schedule could, could get some upsets there. So I, I'd agree with that too. Yeah, if you've if you've never tuned in to watch a little bit of Grayson McCall at quarterback, man, is he electric. Great, great offense. He is in control. I'm not sure there's a quarterback in the country who is more in control of their offensive scheme than Grayson McCall. Well, Kev, um, it is Saturday morning. It's game day. It's time to get butts in seats. Shall we call it a close and take in a glorious day of college football? Absolutely. Unfortunately, I will probably not get to watch much of any of these games, if not just passing by a a TV here because I am uh, at a conference, but I will definitely be keeping a close eye on on these big ones, most notably, obviously, Tennessee, Georgia, but all of our other uh, picks as well. And then probably, you know, really hoping to get to get that Irish win. You know, we do it for the dads here. We do it for the dads. This is nothing but heavy duty. First, first and inches. He's Patrick Smith. I'm Kevin Wise. We do it for the dads. Us and the dads are all sponsored by Milwaukee Tool. Nothing but heavy duty. All right, we'll Patrick. S- we'll give me see one you go next Irish. week. Give me one go Irish here. Go Irish, baby. Let's go. And go blue. And go blue.